Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Heartland History, the podcast of the Midwestern History Association. I'm your host, Dana Brown. Today we are joined by Dr. Caitlin Perry Dial, Interim Director of the Michigan Women's Historical Center and Hall of Fame. Welcome, Caitlin. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Caitlin, I have to start by asking you how you landed this coveted position, because I know we share a common research focus and love for Great Lakes maritime history and heritage. Tell me a little bit about that. I have a PhD in public history from Western Michigan University. Uh, I actually just completed it over the summer, so yay for me. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And my dissertation actually has a little bit of a a Midwestern focus in that it um, focuses on the uh, Eastland disaster uh, in terms of history and memory in the Great Lakes region. Uh, And I sort of poke in there a little bit in that the Great Lakes region includes much of the Midwest. Uh, So I feel like I I have a very good direction towards this organization. But in part of my research uh, in public history, I'm very much interested in how the public interacts with history um, and how, um, in particular, the public um, creates meaning from historic events. Um, So that's part of my academic background, um, but mostly what I've done professionally is work in museums. Um, While I was at Western. I was the curator and the Frederick S. Upton Fellow at the Heritage Museum and Cultural Center at um, or in St. Joseph, Michigan, uh, so right on Lake Michigan. And then um, previously, I also worked um, at the Freer House in Detroit and the MSU Museum in um, various educational roles, so working with the public and also with collections. So. Um, That brought me here to Lansing uh, at the Michigan Women's Historical Center and Hall of Fame as the museum educator just last year, and now I'm the interim director. Very exciting news. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Certainly a a quick ascent up into this position, but um, this has always been a a goal of mine and a dream of mine to lead an organization like this. Uh, So it's really, um, I'm so glad my dissertation is done. (laughs) So I have that off my plate. um, And I'm just so happy to be able to lead an organization like this. Well, tell me a little bit about the organization you work for now, and then I think I'm going to get back a little bit to this whole idea of how you work with the public and maybe talk to you a little bit about Midwestern identity and how people maybe identify with that or use or not use that term. So how about some background information on um, the women's uh, Michigan Women's Historical Center? Well, we actually have a really uh, a long history. Um, We were originally founded as the Michigan Women's Studies Association um, in 1973. We were one of the very first organizations of its kind in the United States um, uh, to focus on or to change what was thought and what was taught about women um, in academia. And so our founder, Gladys Beckwith, and other academics at Michigan State University and other Michigan universities believed 
that there also needed to be a public institution where they could begin to change those stories um, for the public. So they worked with the city of Lansing and found the building that we're in now and opened the Michigan Women's Historical Center and Hall of Fame in 1987. So how do you think that Midwestern values, or is there anything that's uniquely Midwestern that's attached to this, aside from that, that it's focusing mainly on Michigan? Do you feel as though there's anything that sort of imbo- that embodies this idea of Midwestern values or characteristics? Um, well, being a Michigander um, and being a Midwesterner, I always like to think that perseverance is a um, a, a quality that all Midwesterners and Michiganders have, and it's something that I believe that a lot of women uh, in this region exhibit quite well. And I can tell you that out of the um, 298 women here in our Hall of Fame and of the stories that we tell, perseverance is something that um, I think is just uniquely Midwestern about this museum. Um, you can walk into this into this museum and learn of the stories of these Michigan women and learn that, you know, they're, they're all familiar stories because they're all struggles and they're all celebrated accomplishments that um, you could probably take to another state and learn the same things. Let's talk a little bit about how the organization, because of its because of its origin in women's studies. How does the organization help forward the movement to include the important histories of Michigan slash Midwestern women into more serious academic inquiry? Do you partner at all with MSU or anybody else? Is there this reciprocating relationship? Yes, we do. um, uh, In our programming, uh, we do several events that we partner with um, MSU, or the Center for Gender in, in a Global Context. Um, they're great partners with us in, in several of our programs, especially during Women's History Month. Um, we're also developing uh, relationships with other universities, especially um, as we bring in more interns at our museum. Uh, just over the summer, we had interns from Eastern Michigan University and Central Michigan University. So um, I would like to say that we um, are still forwarding our mission um, in women's studies. Um, we're just developing it in, in different ways through um, developing our internships and through our programming here at the museum. Considering all of the different movements going on uh, nationally and globally, and because you're wrapping everything into public history, mm-hmm. how do you go about tackling topics that intersect race, class, and gender without creating uh, essentialized narratives? Right. Um, you know, that's a that's a really great question, and it was something that I recently discussed with a friend of mine. Um, that here at our museum, I feel like discussing women and gender, um, it, it naturally intersects with race and class um, because so many of the different movements that happened through um, the 19th and 20th centuries, especially, and even today, um, women were there at every step of the way um, through the civil rights movement, uh, through suffrage, 
through um, union rights, women were there. Um, so I don't think it's it's creating a an essentialized narrative. Um, we're just making sure that we're telling the stories of the women that were already there. Is there a permanent exhibit or plans for a temporary exhibit that speaks to your point? In one instance in particular, um, in our current exhibit, uh, our, our current exhibit is called Great Girls in Michigan History. So um, one of our great girls that we uh, talk about, um, the whole mission of the exhibit is to tell the story of girls in Michigan who did something great before the age of 20. And one of our girls that we talk about is Serena Williams. Serena Williams was born here in Saginaw, Michigan, Um, obviously an amazing tennis player, um, but faced incredible odds in terms of racism um, within the sport of tennis. Uh, so we tell that story, and um, I think that's a that's a fair case to make. In that not only is this her case a feminist story, but it's also a, a case where um, it's a it's a civil rights story as well. Caitlin, we both know that there's so many new and exciting trends emerging in the field of museum studies. One of which is the study of emotions and interaction. Underpinned to that are the ongoing debates about the cultural and symbolic representations of women. Speaking to those points, I'm sure we can both agree that historical experiences of struggle and ultimate triumph tend to be the dominant narratives for women. So how do you negotiate between the two representations of victim and hero while providing that visceral experience for visitors? You know that's a, that's the, uh, a really difficult thing when you have a hall of fame, um, in that uh, the hall of fame is its the its purpose is to celebrate accomplishments, um, and to recognize the history of these women. Um, so we definitely do try to balance those narratives um, because, of course, as as feminists, we do, we don't want to portray um, women as victims 100% of the time. But there are times where um, these sto- there are women who have stories where they have glass ceilings and they break through them. Um, but those are those are stories of inspiration, not necessarily stories stories of being victims. But as far as resources that are available, if someone wanted to come and really conduct any research, just let's even say not necessarily about women, but the Midwest, women in the Midwest, is there anything that stands out to you that would be valuable or unique or different? Well, we, we are a small museum and our collection is rather limited. Um, in our early history, we did not have a professional museum staff. Um, it's only within the last 10 years or so that we've actually had um, a trained collections person on staff. So it's, it's been difficult to try to make the, the research collection available. We do have um, a really cool uh, collection of uh, Michigan suffrage items. Um, in terms of the, the, the fight for suffrage here in the state of Michigan, original ballots, 
um, things of that nature, because Michigan, as you know, um, or you might know, was one of the first three states to um, agree to ratify the 19th Amendment. But in the state of Michigan, women weren't uh, given the vote until 1918, but it was a hard-fought battle to give that to give that vote. Um, but something that is uniquely mid- Midwestern is here in the state of Michigan, the Grange was widely supportive of suffrage here in the state of Michigan, even before the 19th Amendment. And so we have some really cool items in the exhibit that relate directly to the Grange um, that I think researchers would find really neat to when I tell people about the the Michigan Women's Historical Center and Hall of Fame, they, number one, never know about us. And number two, are surprised that Michigan even has a place like this. And I would say that um, being one of the few places, even in the Midwest, that honors the history of women um, only, and only honors the history of women. And we, we do recognize the accomplishments uh, and contributions of men to women's issues here at the museum. Um, I would say come and visit us and see the, the, the tiny but mighty Michigan Women's Historical Center because um, if you're having a bad day or you feel like you um, aren't much, you can come and learn about the, the stories of women like Maggie Balls, who is a Finnish immigrant, learned English, went to college, taught other women English, underwrote other Finnish women to come to the uh, Upper Peninsula, uh, established a colony on Drummond Island, and and persevered. She She said no when um, men told her to stop educating herself. And she said no when society told her that w- women should not work outside the home. Um, that is the, the Midwestern spirit right there is, is working through when others say no to you. Caitlin, it's been so wonderful having you on the podcast. And I'm very excited that I could bring you on as a guest. Well, thank you so much, and it's a pleasure. I hope I can come back again someday. Thank you again for tuning in to Heartland History. If you would like more information about the Midwestern History Association, visit us at MidwesternHistory.com. You'll have access to information about memberships, news about upcoming conferences, calls for papers, and panel proposals related to Midwestern history. You might also be interested in subscribing to the print journal Middle West Review or reading our online journal Studies in Midwestern History. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. Until next time.